on this episode of Ask LA. Climate crisis isn't the thing that's going to undo society. It's our lack of identity in public space that's going to undo society. And we're seeing that today. The Ask LA podcast is brought to you by the American Society of Landscape Architects. Produced by the ASLA Emerging Professionals Committee, each episode is geared to provide information and insight into the profession of landscape architecture for students and emerging professionals. On this episode of Ask LA, we have an engaging conversation with a rising star in landscape architecture, Diana Fernandez of Sasaki. Diana is a creative thinker in addressing issues affecting the profession, its practitioners, and work in the public realm. We have with us today Diana Fernandez from Sasaki. Uh, Diana is a proven thinker, collaborator, and leader who works effortlessly with architects, planners, urban designers, ecologists, civil engineers, everybody to design equitable and sustainable places. Uh, Diana is writing, she's lecturing uh, on landscape architecture topics around the country. She is studying, she's researching, she's kind of doing it all. And we're gonna hear about some of that today but let me waste no more time in welcoming Diana Fernandez to Ask LA. Thanks for being with us, Diana. Thanks, Daniel. This is um, super exciting. I'm like super honored that you even thought of me for this. Um, It's so exciting to, you know, like Daniel said, we go way back. We were together on the Emerging Professionals Committee um, for National ASLA volunteering together many years ago. And this idea of ask me anything came up, you know, and to hear it sort of evolve into all these iterations is something I'm really excited to continue to support and be a part of. Great. Yeah, we owe all of this to you because it was your leadership that uh, that we started this. So that's, uh, that's been many years. Um, and you've done a lot since then. You keep getting uh, more and more famous. <laughs> You're quite the quite the architect now, making the rounds, uh, popping up all over the place. So we're going to get into the things you're doing. Um, you know, you're not too far removed from the emerging professional realm yourself. So I think uh, you'll have great insight and input for our young listeners and uh, those just starting off on how they can can jump right in and, and make an impact as well. Um, I want to start with the question I love to ask everybody in the profession because it's uh, so varying. Um, let's uh, tell us about how you discovered landscape architecture. When did you first hear that such a thing existed? <laughs> That's a great question. And I think it's like all landscape architects must share this like common um, <laughs> common story of not knowing that this existed as a profession. <laughs> and, um, you know, for me, I uh, immigrated to this country when I was five years old um, from the Dominican Republic, and I immediately said I wanted to be president of the United States. Like, that was, like, my goal in life. And I remember a teacher in third grade was like, wait a second, you're an immigrant. You can't be president. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> And um, (laughs) it was this funny um, point in my life where, you know, I've always been very motivated and driven and I was sort of like, you know, I I really love nature. I love design. You know, I grew up with very little resources. So, um, you know, my parents couldn't afford to buy me the brand new Barbie or the new Lego set. For me, it was more about I would take old shoe boxes and... um, 
newspaper clippings and whatever magazines we would get in the mail um, and make cities and, and worlds for, for these toys I was playing with. So immediately it clicked to me that it's like, okay, you know, as an immigrant, you have a choice of like, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, or you're an architect. <laughs> um, and, um, I was like, hey, architecture, I love creativity, I love people, and I, I want to use, you know, these desires to create a more sustainable world um, in, in that career path. Um, and I landed at Temple University, and um, it was really funny because my first semester was really challenging in architecture school. Um, I was taking a lot of um, classes where uh, it was more about uh, the abstract theory of, of practice. Um, so I was drawing a lot of um, naked people, and uh, I was just like, I didn't think this was what <laughs> architecture was <laughs> and they would take us out into the park and you know they're like abstract the trees like you know what like what would you get with your sense of place and like how can you like invert it to create something different and I just had such a hard time with that because I you know I think my background in, in being an immigrant really informed the fact that I wanted something tactical. Like I wanted to do building. I wanted to create things and see it like actually affecting people. And, and the abstraction of your first years in architecture school was just really disorienting for somebody that was like, I'm going to make a change in the world, you know? Yeah. And um, I remember I was taking an urban planning course as one of my general requirements. Um, that first semester, and there was a senior scholar, and I'm a nerd, like, I sat right in front. <laughs> and uh, I love the class, and, you know, they were talking about urban planning, they were talking about Buckminster Fuller, and I was like, who is that? Like, that is what I thought architecture was. Like, <laughs> this is what I want to do. And um, I remember the senior scholar, like, you know, just asked me on a whim one day, he's like, have you been landscape architecture and I was like what <laughs> landscapers you mean like the people that like cut lawns and stuff and he's like no you know that urban planning and landscape architecture were one profession at some point and I was like no and I immediately being the nerd that I am did a ton of research um, and the second, my second semester of college, I was very seriously looking at the program and, like, on a whim against my parents' desire. <laughs> because it's hard to explain what landscape architecture is. They're like, oh no, she's going to be, like, cutting lawns and, like, working hard labor, which is, you know, the opposite of what they wanted for me. And um, I. Just, I just felt like it was right, and I, I joined the, the program, and I don't know, the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Your parents are okay now. <laughs> yeah, no, they are totally okay. They don't really understand it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Still? But uh, it's just, it's so, um, the depth of our work is so broad, you know. It, it can be everything from, yes, from, from the work, the labor that it takes to create these landscapes at a very small scale, all the way to, you know, working with the city to reimagine its future post, 
you know, um, a terrorist attack or envisioning a brand new city um, for an area um, that is becoming more developed or seeing, you know, incredible growth. So, you know, the, the breadth and scale of it is so vast that it's so hard to actually define it. And um, I don't know. I, I'm kind of like, I used to have a little like chip on my shoulder about it. And I'm like, you know what? No, it's kind of exciting. Every time I'm in a room, it's like a new answer. You know? right. <laughs> That's great. And so at Temple, switching from architecture to landscape architecture, they're in totally different colleges, right? It's not like it's all wrapped up in architecture. So that was a big transition. For sure, both like um, in terms of the resources <laughs> and also uh, location. So we were, um, I didn't drive when I started college. Um, I, you know, I've lived in New York City and we lived just outside of Philadelphia and it was just always using public transportation. So, and I didn't need to drive. But the landscape architecture program was an hour outside of Center City, Philadelphia in the Ambler uh, Arboretum, which is just a beautiful, beautiful campus. Yeah. Um, but it, it really meant that, you know, the first year and a half of the program for me was me doing a, you know, a really extreme commute, like three hours a day on the road type of thing, just getting from point A to point B. And um, that proved to be challenging. <laughs> so I learned to drive pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it was just a shift from architecture felt very um, isolating and, and, and the culture of the program was very much about trying to beat out your competitor, like be the best, most egotistical designer that you could be. And when I switched to landscape architecture, it was so, the program was so much smaller, one, right? Like the class size was probably a third of the architecture program. Um, and it just felt more about the people and you know yes there's still some it's, it's not like everything was happy it's still design school they're still going to be mean to you you know break you down and teach you about the landscape and design is but i think um it just felt like i had built more of a camaraderie with the group the cohort i was with um in school and i think truly like you know me daniel i love people and this was like the right the right thing for me what kind of things uh, immediately were you passionate about that you were learning in landscape architecture? What really got you excited about the field? Well, you know, I think like the vision I had in my mind of what landscape architecture was very much painted by where I had grown up. And it was this sort of juxtaposition of this like paradise, right? Because I grew up in an island in the mountains and color, vibrancy, the lushness of landscape and your dependency on it for survival, which is embedded in, in my DNA and the way I think. Um, and then we moved to New York City and like, you know, I was around this grit and there was community, but it was different, you know, like instead of this lush, you know, and varied topography, it was sort of this incredible eclectic mix of all sorts of pieces of architecture, asphalt, uh, people coming together, all these different cultures. It was just this incredible melting pot. And um, I, I brought that with me when I got into landscape architecture um, and architecture. 
And um, it, it was, I'm going to be really honest, it was challenging because the professors were not open to that type of thinking. And specifically my use of color, because I love color, the, the vibrancy of public spaces. I just, that's what I grew up seeing and what I, what I saw in the neighborhoods I grew up in, both in the U.S. and abroad. And um, I remember I did this plan in orange and red, <laughs> a full rendered plan. <laughs> and like the look on my professor's face was just like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it was like this moment where I was pulled aside and told that I needed to use tilts and lighter jeans and like black and white and gray, like that's what architects and designers do. And I was just, you know, um, I was really taken aback and I didn't really understand the profound impact of that comment because I then spent the last, you know, couple years of landscape architecture school trying to assimilate to that, trying to be that, you know. And I remember I like did this one pinup where it was, everything was like black and white. And they were like, wow, Diana, this is so unlike you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm trying to follow what you told me, but um, it, it's really funny because it's like, I feel like I just did like a, a, a one, uh, like a 360, like I started with this love of color, people, culture, and place, and I spent a lot of my time in uh, my undergraduate studies trying to assimilate to, to the other norm, and then when I got out, I, I basically spent the earlier part of my career trying to find that, find find myself again. Basically, uh, go back to that young student and what has shaped me, you know, and, and using that as I, my passion and my energy for how I wanted to practice landscape architecture. Right. So there's a good lesson there for any students that might be listening. Um, <laughs> would you would you recommend they assimilate <laughs> and then go back or just stick with themselves? Definitely stick with yourself. I feel like it was such a waste of time. <laughs> um, I think it's important. I mean, um, I think as I get older, um, I am wiser uh, and, and not so spiteful about like, well, I told you so I was right, you know? Um, and it's more of like, there is a deep understanding for the methods and the value systems that this profession has been practicing within. And I think it's really important to study that and understand it. But I think it's equally as important to question it and to understand that there are other ways in which landscape architecture can operate and should be operating uh, for us to remain relevant. Um, and I think a lot of the discourses that we see in our world today are very much revolved around um, how professionals, how companies, how art, you know, how can landscape architecture better relate to our communities and their needs? And um, it doesn't mean that there's one solution. It means that we have to think of a plethora of ways in which this uh, profession can influence and make change in the world. As landscape architects. As landscape architects. As landscape architects. As landscape architects, we design places and experiences for life to grow and flourish. We design for human existence. Together with life on Earth in a field that combines art and science. People already have personal and emotional connections to the spaces we create. 
Our work is a setting for their memories of their past. For their lives today. And where they long to be in the future. Our communities know who we are through our work. They just don't realize it. Yet. We need a new way to communicate with the public. A new voice. A new message. Because an amazingly rare thing called life. Life. Life grows in the spaces that we create. Happiness grows in the parks and schoolyards we design. Togetherness grows in the corridors that we plan, connecting one person to another. Wellness grows in the active spaces we create for communities to come together. Life grows here. Life grows here. Life grows here. Life grows here. In our design, in our works, in our profession. So while we're all here, let's grow together. We're asking all of you to help us communicate this message. Life Grows Here is a public awareness campaign to let people know why we do what we do. And why it's important in their lives. Here's what we need from you. A short one minute video about your why. Why do you do your work? Who do you design for? How does your work affect the lives of those around you? We want to know. Don't worry about the video quality. You can go into selfie mode or talk over a static image if you like. What's more important is you. Your voice. Your perspective. Together, we can create a mosaic that clearly communicates the spirit of our profession and shapes our collective voice as designers of place and stewards of life. Life grows in the spaces we create. Help us tell that story. And when you uh, left school and started your first job, uh, what was that like? Did you, did you feel a need to assimilate there or, or were you more free as a, as a new professional to do what you felt was your style? Yeah, I guess um, I will maybe to back up a little bit here. When I was in school, I was aggressive about internships. I started interning when I was a sophomore, and um, I was not ready to intern as a sophomore. <laughs> not, but it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> Uh, and it was, you know, it was just ways in which um, I was pushing myself to see how practitioners were working and how different office environments were. And it was both out of need, necessity, because I had to work um, to provide uh, for myself and my daughter when I was in school, but also this need to see that, you know, sometimes when we're being taught in school and, you know, heads down, we, we tend not to look up and see that, oh, actually, there's so many different ways in which this can be interpreted or, you know, my, when you're in school, you're, you're, you're thinking, oh my God, I have to be great at everything. Like I have to be great at grading. I have to be a great designer. I have to know how to present with a client, like all of it. I need to be the perfect package. And yes, we should aspire to that. But when you go into a firm, you see that that's not the case. Like we all have strengths and we're working together as a collaborative, as a collective, really. Um, towards a, a similar goal. And I think um, having those types of experiences really allowed me, you know, in my first job to sort of say, actually, I want to, this is the best offer for me. You know, if I'm, I had two offers and I was like, you know what, I, I think this is the best place for me to grow as a professional. And, and it really was, it was a smaller firm in Philadelphia and it was a really nurturing place for me to grow and just really kind people that, um, gave me a lot of rope and it was a place that, you know, I wore a lot of hats. So we didn't have a marketing department, you know, we did it ourselves. So we were putting together proposals. We were 
um, managing projects, seeing things through construction in a really fast timeline. Um, so I just got to do a lot. And um, they also gave me the freedom to um, do things outside of the office extracurricularly, uh, whether it was putting together an exhibit with my colleague um, to, uh, you know, joining ASOA committees and volunteering and doing things that, you know, were growing me as a professional outside of the bounds of, of my position. And um, it was just a really wonderful place to kind of start my career and jumpstart things. Great. How important was that ASLA involvement at that early stage? What did it give to you? You know, for me, I, I viewed it as like an outlet for me to show leadership. Even when as a young professional, I was not, a, you know, I'm not going to be PMing my first project out of school. Like, that's wild, <laughs> you know. Um, but it did allow me to know how to manage a conference call. You know, how do you lead a conference call with a team of individuals from all over the country? How do you put together proposals for a vision you have in terms of implementing change? Um, how can you take a vision and actually make it real? How do you implement program um, and realize that? And those were all really tangible skill sets that um, apply directly to the workplace. And for me as a, as a practitioner, um, in terms of feeling confident that, you know, I'm not going to be afraid to, to get on a Zoom call or WebEx and, and not know how to carry myself on a conference call or if I had to present in front of a client or something, you know, I've, I have these extracurricular opportunities that give me the, they're almost like the testing ground for the type of leadership that I bring back to the firm. And also like the people, I, I'll have to say that. Um, you meet so many amazing practitioners and it's refreshing, you know, because our day-to-day -day practices, you know, there's some real, some, some grinds and, and, and some things that are not as uh, glamorous as we see in the final shots of an LAM cover, you know, there, you have to grind to make those beautiful photos a reality. And um, it's nice to, to have the camaraderie of hearing others also navigating the same spaces um, or at different points in their career where they can provide a sort of, you know, a sense of mentorship for you. Um, and, and you're all working towards like making our profession, our, our you know, ASLA a, a better um, institution for our profession. So I think it was also, you know, part mentorship, part like this narrative that we were all working towards. I know you've had a couple pretty predominant mentors um, so far in your professional life. Um, you want to talk about them and, and how they impacted you and helped you grow and become what you are? Definitely. Um, I'll have to say that I, I do have to give a shout out to Mark Folks, who has been a huge force in my life. Um, so. For those of you listening, Mark Folk um, was a previous ASLA president, um, and he's currently um, the um, chief operating officer for the New York City Park System. And Mark happened to be my professional practice professor when I was at Temple, <laughs> when he was deputy commissioner of parks and recreation there. And um, I just really got along with Mark, and he was a great professor. I had a great time during our class. 
And after I graduated, you know, I was practicing for some time, and um, he was at the incoming ASLA president, and I was just like, wow, this is amazing. I cannot believe, like, I know this person, and he's ascending to such great heights and representing our profession in such a positive way. And um, I cold emailed him um, <laughs> after probably, like, not, not hearing from me for like two years. <laughs> and I was like, Mark, I want to be the president of ASLA. Actually, the first Latina to be president of ASLA. <laughs> Would you mentor me? <laughs> Very bold. I, mean, I know the audacity, right, of the question. <laughs> statement really um and it was just this really funny moment where um he could have just like ignored that email you know or said like you know i'm really busy and he was um and you know maybe later we can we can chat but um he's like sure let's meet for coffee and we met for two hours and he just like told me like all the advice, like all the good stuff that like, you know, it's like um it's like a Yoda moment, you know, where you're sitting and you're just like, I can listen to you forever. <laughs> um and he was just so kind to take that time out of his day and help me. And it didn't end there. Uh, you know, he gave me a really important piece of advice which, you know, was you need to be you need to be out there in the national level. So you need to attend these national conferences. And at the time, I wasn't making a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of resources. And I was like, Mark, I don't even know how I can make this work. And he's like, just do whatever you can to make it. I will try to get, I'll, I'll try to help you get into any events. And it's funny because Daniel, that's where I met you in person for the first time <laughs> <laughs> with Mark. <laughs> So I figured out a way to like penny my way over to the Denver conference that year. And um, I remember Mark was so kind. He got me into all of the ASLA events because I couldn't afford to pay for them. And um, he not only got me the ticket and got me in the door, but he walked me through every single room, introduced me to every important person in that room that he knew. And not only an introduction of like, here's Diana who's sitting next to me, but like, this is Diana Fernandez who aspires to do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, there's very few people like that that are willing to give so much of themselves and believe in somebody's potential um, and go out of their way to make the connections and open the doors necessary to make that happen. And funny enough, at that same conference, <laughs> I saw Gina Ford, who was on the jury that had given me a student award two years back. Wow. And her and Yikyung Kim came to see our presentation when we won that award and like offered us jobs on the spot. But you know, we I had a job already, so I was like, I already have a job, guys. Like, I don't know, I'm not joining the firm. <laughs> and it was just such a, you know, such a moment, you know, these these two powerhouses in front of me. And um I saw her again and you know, I was at the point in my career where I was looking for a change and um at that conference, Gina on the spot again asked me if I was looking for work. And that's how I landed at Sasaki, and Gina has been 
such a force in my life, both personally and like professionally. Um, we were working together when she was here uh, as a principal at Sasaki. Um, and, you know, we have a lifelong relationship. Our daughters are um, really close friends. They're the same age. And we just have a deep appreciation for each other and supporting um, new voices as they continue to emerge and um, take a stand basically in the profession. And um, she's been a great source of inspiration for me in terms of um, what it means to lead, what it means to speak up for people when they're not at the table. Um, and she's taught me a lot about paying it forward, you know, um, doing good and knowing that it's gonna come back to you. Uh, but yeah, those, I mean, there's so many more, there's so many people. I mean, it's a, it's a whole village, truly. <laughs> um, but, you know, Mark uh, has had such a lasting impact in my life still to this day. Um, and a lot, the reason I am where I am today is because he took the time to open my eyes to a future I couldn't even imagine for myself. I think uh, one of the, the, the traits and the personality and the things that make people good landscape architects or make them want to be landscape architects, make them very great people to, to meet, to hang out with, and, and they're giving of their time and then themselves and they're personable. So, you know, I, I think as, as a young professional and students, when you see that person, you're like, oh my goodness, that's so-and-so. Don't be afraid to go talk to him, right? <laughs> or, or send him an email and tell him you want to be president. <laughs> Whatever it takes. I mean, look, look, what it, look what it did for you, that one, uh, just putting yourself out there. So I think that's fantastic. So, you know, you, uh, you moved on to Sasaki. Uh, life got, got crazier and busier. Have you, have you seen the things that you were passionate about passionate about landscape architecture as a student and coming out of school, same things you're still excited about or, or those things, have those things changed? I think it's both same thing. And like, to be honest, I think I, um, I'm an eternal optimist. Um, and I am a futurist when I think about the world I want to be in. And when I first came to this country, to the United States, and I bought into this American ideology, um, my deepest desire was to make the world a better place for communities that were really underserved, underinvested in. And um, to ensure that the beauty that exists in this world can be bountiful um, and shared in these communities. And, that is still truly at the heart, really the crux of like what motivates me as a practitioner. And um, if there's anything that's changed since I started practicing is that I guess I'm, I'm more intentional and clear about that. And I'm not afraid to speak my mind about pushing the profession and pushing practice um, to really explore ways in which we can do this work better. Um, and to allow for some of these um, voices on the margins to come to the forefront and, and to be open to the impact we can have as a profession, um, not just to sort of our, our ecological world, but our social world as well. 
What do you think the biggest challenges for landscape architecture as a profession are to make that kind of world-changing impact? Um, I think there's a lot of talk about diversity. There's a lot of talk about inclusion. There's a lot of talk about equity. And um, I, I think it's important. Uh, I, you know, those those terms are, are really have lasting impacts in communities, but I think it's um, it's a disservice if we don't really understand them or if we're using them in ways that um, are just to say the word, you know, just to say we're doing it. And um, I find that, you know, in the last two decades, our profession has, and, and the theory that's come out of, of landscape architecture has been very much focused on concepts of landscape ecology and resilience building. And it's important. We are in a, a climate crisis. Um, and we need to understand the ecological systems in a, in a much more deep and nuanced level. I know as landscape architects how to build a more resilient world for this changing uh, future. Um, but I, I do see that we're missing the human side of things. And, and I think uh, Edward Ralph, who's a geographer um, in the 70s, wrote uh, a book of uh, Place and Placelessness. And he made this really interesting point where he said, you know, uh, climate crisis isn't the thing that's going to undo society. It's our lack of identity in public space that's going to undo society. And we're seeing that today. Um, there's an identity crisis. And um, people want to feel like they belong um, in our public realm. And um, I think it's important for us to marry ecology and anthropology together um, as a system. And I'm really excited to see all of these new emerging practices really pushing at that realm. You know, it's not just to say, we did community engagement and we put up a bunch of stickers and there you go, you know? It's like deep. It's like, how do you visualize social interaction? How do you heal a community? Um, how do you unlearn the very practices we, we implement on a day-to-day -to, -day to stop perpetuating the many issues that have um, disproportionately affected certain communities? So, um, you know, it takes a lot and, and a lot of research, a lot of thinking, um, a lot of passion, you know, to, to realize that. But I think truly that's where the profession is going, and I and I um, am hopeful that it's not just a trend, and that we're just using you know diversity as a new thing, and uh, we actually think deeper about uh, the implications of the social, the cultural, and the linguistic aspects, and how it's interrelated with the ecology. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ask LA. Don't miss part two of our conversation with Diana on our next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask LA podcast on iTunes, Google, or your podcast service of choice to catch every episode. For more information about the great work of the American Society of Landscape Architects, check out ASLA.org.